Live around the globe, it's time for Rudy Max's World on the SSI Radio Network. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the deserts, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. Get on the phone now and call 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. Or email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. And now, the savvy traveler himself, Rudy Maxa. Welcome aboard on this last weekend before Christmas. And if you're stuck in traffic and you're shopping for presents or getting last-minute tree decorations or trying to find some light somewhere because those bulbs were out on yours, well, you're listening to the right radio show because uh, you can just let your mind travel with me for the next hour or two. I'm Rudy Maxa, a.k.a. The Savvy Traveler. This is Rudy Maxa's World, the radio show where we talk all travel all the time. This week, we're going to meet a man who's dined in every restaurant in the world that has a three-star rating by Michelin. Now, three-star rating by Michelin is the highest award that you can get. There ain't no four-star Michelin restaurants. Uh, this is exactly what British restaurant critic Andy Haler does for a living. It's a never-ending job, Andy, going around the world, Tokyo, London, Paris, New York, doing, getting, doing all those tastings. He's going to join me to discuss his quest and thoughts on the state of dining in the world today. Then, uh, in a, just a few minutes, a Norwegian airline is about to upend the international airline business. It actually has already started with its very low fares that allow passengers to fly from Florida, New York, and California to London, Asia, and Scandinavia for as little as about $236 each way. That's all in. That's taxes and fees. Author and aviation writer Christine Negroni explains why not everyone is jumping for joy about that. To a consumer, it looks pretty terrific. We'll hear what Christine has to say in just a couple minutes. Then a while back, a couple friends made a pledge to try to spice up their life, try to try something new, challenging, or ridiculous every weekend for a year, every weekend for a year. The result is a website called the52weeks.com and a book called The 52 Weeks. Pam Godwin is one of the co-authors. She joins me to describe a few ways you might want to spice up your weekends. And what's your impression of Dubai, one of the Emirates at United Arab Emirates? Is it a glittery, glamorous place, or is it really just a soulless testament to consumerism and wealth? Does it hold any interest to the leisure traveler like you and me? Or is it merely a convenient transit point for flyers who want to continue on to the Middle East, Africa, or Asia. Charlie Taylor from Dubai's Tourism Office will be here later this hour. I'm going to ask him those questions. They're going to be a little tough on him. But let's begin by taking a look at some of this week's news in travel. Well, the question of whether or not passengers on U.S. airlines will be able to use cell phones or not seems to be decided for the moment. This week, both Delta and JetBlue said they're not going to allow it. United studying the question, but I expect the company to arrive at the same conclusion. Now, I've mentioned before on this show that a number of foreign airlines have long allowed passengers to use cell phones to make cell, to make calls on planes. So I have a feeling it's going to be sort of inevitable that it'll eventually get to the U.S. whether we like it or not. I don't especially like the idea. I know most people don't. But for now, at least over the United States, on U.S. carriers, no phone shot at chatter aloft. During Tuesday night's snowstorm in Boston, passengers aboard a Lufthansa flight to Germany sat on a plane on the tarmac at Logan for five hours. That's one hour over the le legal limit. And no, foreign airlines are not exempt from that rule anymore. They were for a while, but they're not now. All airlines face enormous fines if they don't allow passengers to deplane within four hours of the closing of the plane's uh, door. Now, in this case, the airline blamed a snowplow that had broken down, said it blocked the taxiway. But the airport said that plow was quickly removed from any active runway or tarmac. Lufthansa did put the passengers up in local hotels, but not until they've waited another four hours until 1 a.m. to fetch their luggage from a baggage carousel. What's with that? Well, Lufthansa said it had no ground crew to unload the luggage properly. I think it'll be interesting to see if the FAA hits Lufthansa with a big, big fine. 
I think the airline also has passengers more than a night in a hotel. The snowstorm is obviously not Lufthansa's fault. The snow isn't. But from what I can see, the airline handled the event about as badly as it could be handled. I also don't understand why Lufthansa didn't permit passengers to use their cell phones during those five hours everyone was stuck on the ground in the plane. Not as if that aircraft was in any imminent danger of going anywhere. We talked last week about the entry of a Norwegian airline called simply Norwegian that has decided that airfares are way too high between North America and Europe and Asia. It's bought some big new planes and it's offering fares that allow passengers to fly from Florida, New York, and California to London, Asia, and Scandinavia, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, for as little as $236 each way. Author and aviation writer Christina Negroni is author of the book Deadly Departure, Why the Experts Failed to Prevent the TWA Flight 800 Disaster and How It Could Happen Again. She also writes a blog called Flying Lessons at christinegroni.blogspot.com. I'll give you that again uh, shortly. She says not everyone's nuts about the idea. Welcome back to the show, Christine. Nice to have you aboard. Hi, it's nice to be on. I sit and listen for the few minutes before, and I think, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Well, well, I didn't know that anybody would have an objection to Norwegian's low fares, but you know some stuff I didn't know about, and I'd like you to share it with the audience, because at first blush, as a consumer, you go, great, 240 bucks each way across the Atlantic, or maybe even across, well, not across the Pacific, probably, but it looks great, but there's, there's more to the story, isn't there? Right, there always is, and I have to say, I'll, I'd like to go back sometime and talk to you about whether at first blush low fares really are a good thing for the consumer, but that's another story, I think, for another day. Norwegian had this very, has a very aggressive and um, very, um, uh, well, a very aggressive plan to uh, start sort of turn the long-haul market on its head by offering the kind of low-cost fares that regional and, you know, national carriers have been, not, not national carriers, intranational um, flights have been have been doing, and it's you know it's taken off like a rocket since April when they started flying into New York. They added Fort Lauderdale, and they have plans to add Oakland um, and Los Angeles uh, in the in the new year. Right. The problem is they have the right to fly into the United States under a certificate issued to Norway, an air operator certificate in Norway. But Norway wants Norwegian to start paying its pilots based on Norwegian labor law, and that doesn't work for their business model. So now they've got to go find another country to operate out of, which is what they've done. They've gone to Ireland, and they've applied for an air operating certificate out of Ireland. So Norwegians' long-haul flights are going to be operated out of Ireland, and then they've come back to the United States and asked for a new operating certificate out of Ireland. The problem is Ireland hasn't granted them the certificate yet. And the clock is ticking. They, Norway's giving them a few more weeks before they get either get their pilots and flight crews uh, under Norwegian law or get out of yeah. the country. Let, let so, me interrupt you. Let me interrupt you. When you when you say operating out of Ireland, do you just mean corporately operating, or is there their flights coming in and out of Ireland? Cor- corporately, corporately All right. flying so out of Ireland. So they still go into Norway. That's a good clarification. And, yeah. That's right. Okay. They'd be still flying into Norway, okay. uh, in and out of Norway. Though they want to add Gatwick Airport in London too. So it's sort of a virtual ownership in Ireland. The planes are registered there, but they won't. You know, you won't be hubbing through in Dublin or anything. So are like Irish that. pilots che- work? Do they work cheaper than Norwegian pilots? That's the well, and they're not even Irish pilots. They're Asian pilots. They're trying to fly, or I shouldn't say they're Asian pilots, but they're hiring them out of Singapore. Hmm. And Singapore labor law will apply. So you see, this is a way to sort of depress, depress, depress the price of that they're going to have to pay to get those pilots. But is there and, a suggestion that these Asian pilots aren't as competent as European or American pilots? No, I don't think it's a matter of competence. I don't think that's the issue. And, and they're probably not Thai anyway, because Thai, all of Asia is in a big push to get more pilots because their aviation industry is booming. So everybody's looking for more pilots. Mostly these are expats. They could be Americans or Australians or 
or retired. You know, okay, we have 15 pilot. seconds left. Why is this not good for us? Well, you know, right now it's not good for Norwegian because Norwegian okay. doesn't know. You know, if you buy a ticket now, there's no 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 certainty you're going to be able to fly on them in Got March it. or April because their, their whole ability to operate is under challenge right now. Interesting, fascinating. Hey, Christine, we're gonna uh, let's say you and me in touch on this, and we'll talk again. Absolutely. Christine Negroni's author of uh, the book Deadly Departure. It's about the TWA Flight 800 disaster. You can read her writings at Christine with a C-H. Negroni, N as in Nancy, E-G-R-O-N-I. ChristineNegroni.blogspot.com. When we come back, we'll meet the guy who's eaten at every three-star Michelin restaurant in the world. participate in the program and speak with Rudy Maxa, call 800-387-8025 or email the show at info at RudyMaxa.com. Introducing Orbitz Rewards, the top-shelf margarita of rewards programs. As an Orbitz Rewards member, you earn rewards immediately on flights, hotels, and packages. That's right, like the kick from a good tequila, you get them instantly. The rewards you just earned on your flight to Miami, use them to book your hotel for the same trip. If you use the Orbitz app to book, you earn even more, 5% on hotels. So join today and be part of the only travel rewards program that gives you instant vacation gratification. Go to Orbitz.com rewards or look under sponsors at RudyMaxa.com. Hi, this is Chuck Woolery. You want to feel like a million bucks today? Have all the confidence in the world? Well, it can't happen if you have bad breath, so why don't you do what I do? Get your hands on Smart Mouth Mouthwash and get 12 hours of fresh breath. Rinse at night, wake up without nasty morning breath. Rinse in the morning, fresh breath all day. For 40 cents a rinse, have confidence that you can't get with any other mouthwash. So put your money where your mouth is. Smart Mouth 12-Hour Mouthwash. It's in stores everywhere. Looking for a great price on a new hardwood floor? Every floor in every store is on sale now at Lumber Liquidators in the Vier Flooring Clearance. Clearance flooring is just 19 cents a square foot. First quality laminate, just 49 cents. Pre-finished hardwood, 139. Plus bamboo, hand scrape. If it's in stock, it's on sale. And get special extended financing. Hurry, these incredible deals will not last. Sales going on now. Visit LumberLiquidators.com or your store before these deals are gone. Financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payment required. If you've got aches and pain and soreness, it could be chronic inflammation. Listen to Dave talk about Relief Factor 4. I was in a sawmill accident and suffered with pain and discomfort for 60 years. I heard about Relief Factor 4 and decided to order it. And in four days, I was walking without a limp and without pain. I am thrilled. For more information or to order Relief Factor 4, Go online at relieffactor4.com. That's relieffactor4.com. To join Rudy Maxa, call 800-387-8025. You can email the show at info at rudymaxa.com. Now back to Rudy Maxa's World. Welcome back. And this segment of Rudy Max's World is brought to you by our loyal sponsor, Travel Guard. They've teamed up with Reader's Digest, a name you know and trust for reliable expert advice. Travel Guard, of course, is the nation's leading provider of travel insurance and assistance services plans. And along with Reader's Digest, they're offering a free smart spender's guide that'll tell you how to afford a vacation, how to save at hotels, restaurants, and resorts, what to do to avoid making expensive travel mistakes, and about 110 more money-saving tips and ideas. Just go to TravelGuard.com for your free copy of the free smart spender's guide, or go to RudyMaxa.com. And right at the top of the page, there's a banner that you just click on. Here's a job for you. Eat in every Michelin three-starred restaurant in the world. That's the job of British restaurant critic Andy Haler. Now, Andy, I got uh, nearly 100 television uh, shows on the great destinations of the world that air on U.S. and public television, around the world on Travel Channel International. Let me tell you, I got a lot of folks who volunteer to come along and carry my bags. 
I bet you have a few folks who volunteer to help you review these celebrated restaurants. Um, yes, I, I do get that <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Tell me a little about your history, the history of you and how you became a, a food critic. You call yourself restaurant critic or food critic? Uh, restaurant critic, I guess, is probably more accurate. All right. um, but uh, I do do some other writing. Um, sure. Well, I mean, I essentially um, sort of worked in... Um, and, and I, in technology jobs um, when, I, when I sort of left university. Um, and um, when I started working for Shell, I, I started to travel quite a lot around the world. So I had a chance to sort of, you know, do very, try lots of different, very different sort of food. I suppose for me the sort of defining moment was when I, I went to a restaurant in the 1980s called uh, Jaman in Paris. And the chef there was a guy called Jean Rebouchon, who uh, <laughs> is quite sort of, very very famous now he was you know, he, even then he was quite well known um and um he was really at the sort of height of his powers then and um that really sort of converted me to sort of high-end food um so that was really the sort of moment when i got sort of interested in, in really sort of in high-end restaurants so at that time it was very much a, a hobby um and then a little bit later on i <clears throat> um i started a sort of newsletter and that then somebody approached me to, to, to publish that so that became a book about london restaurants um, and I set up a website in 1994, just after the book, um, to really sort of capture the my sort of you know restaurant diary, if you like. So all, all that point has always been a, a hobby. And it, it sort of sounds like Tim and Nita Zagat, the way they started there when they were living in Paris. They started a little newsletter for friends about restaurants. And uh, first of all, before I forget to ask you, uh, what is your website for folks who would like to check it on you? Oh, sure. It's um, andyhaler.com. So that's A-N-D-Y-H-A-Y-L-E-R.com. Okay. Now, are you still working for Shell? Uh, no. I um, I left a few years ago, actually, um, 2001, actually. I set up a software company after that, um, did that for some years. And then, um, really, 2006 was when I kind of, sort of moved moved over, um, sort of much more into, into sort of food rather than technology. Um, I was still sort of dabble a little bit in technology as well. Um, but um, I, I sort of now I sort of combine the two a little bit, so I've got to um, do quite a lot of uh, restaurant uh, travel and, and writing, and then I also do some uh, technology work part-time. And when did you begin this quest to collect all three-star restaurants? I know a lot of restaurant critics, but they certainly haven't hit every three-star restaurant in the world. Did, was this... Did you think of this as a something you wanted to do in your heart and soul? Was it a marketing gimmick? Because if it is, it's very clever. Um, yeah, no, it really was just, um, it happened by accident, actually. I mean, I, I just noticed in 2003, I'd actually been to most of the three stars, which at that time, there were only 48 in the world, and they were actually all in Europe, so it wasn't by any means as difficult uh, a task as it is today. Right, right. Um, and, and I just noticed that if I, you know, if I was kind of careful with the where plan vacation, I could actually, um, you know, pick up the rest of them in 2004. Um, I sort of kept up with, with Michelin since in 2008, 2010, 2012, um, and I'll do that again next year. And, and essentially in 2012, there were 109 three-star Michelin restaurants, um, but they now stretch from um, from California, uh, obviously through Europe, uh, right across to um, China and Japan. So were you crestfallen when Tokyo was added to the list and suddenly there were all these new three-star restaurants, or did that get you all excited to go over to Tokyo and eat? No, I, I, I love Japan, so I was very excited, actually, to, to, to get back. I've been before um, and really enjoyed it anyway, so it's a fantastic country to visit. Um, and from a food perspective, Japan is, is, has, has maybe some of the best ingredients in the world. And Tokyo is an incredibly vibrant food city. Uh, I mean, they've, they've since extended. So I was actually in Japan just two weeks ago um, in uh, Hiroshima and, mm -hmm. uh, and also briefly in Kyoto where there's a, a new three-star called Kichisen. Uh, and then I went back to, to Tokyo after that. 
Um, but no, it's never a um, it's never a sort of a chore to to visit Japan. It's an, it's an incredibly welcoming country and fascinating culture and food. I'm talking with Andy Haler. His website is andyhaler.com, Andy, A-N-D-Y, Haler, H-A-Y-L-E-R, all one word, andyhaler.com. He's a British uh, restaurant critic, and he has eaten in every three-star Michelin restaurant in the world. But you said there are more than 100 now. I mean, how often do you try to get—I mean, that would be two a week if you did it every year. I'm sure you don't do go to each Michelin restaurant, <laughs> restaurant every year. Yeah, no, I, I just sort of tr- sort of try to keep up with with the new ones, then sort of revisit um, or ones as as you know uh, sort of gradually. So um, I'll certainly you know revisit it, re- revisit sort of some of the years. So typically, I mean, for example, 2012 is when I, when the, you know I went I think to 36 that year, including the the new ones. So that's so I'll, I'll sort of typically sort of go go back to uh, to quite a few places as well as the. And are you recognized, Andy, when you walk in? Do you pay your own bills? Uh, do you go under a different name on your credit card? I, I pay my own bills. Um, I mean, I don't kind of, you know, run around in disguise or anything like like Ruth Reichel used to. Um, you know, that would probably be a bit extreme. Um, but um, I, I pay my own bills, and I think um, that's actually a very critical point because I think um, um, a lot of sort of food blogs maybe they don't necessarily do that. Uh, and I think even with with print critics from newspapers, I think you know if they have a bad meal, it's just oh well, they just sign off on expenses. Um, but you know, for me, it, it actually matters. It's, it's my money. You know, so um, so so I think I have a sort of slightly different sort of perspective about sort of value for money uh, in restaurants, and, and that implies at the sort of three-star Michelin level, but obviously it also applies, you know, to your sort of you know, local local Chinese restaurant as well. Well, that that brings up my next question. I was going to ask you uh, if you've eaten in 36 three-star Michelin restaurants this year, how many of those 36 did you walk out going, eh, not quite three stars? Um, yeah, uh, a few actually. I have to say, um, I think the um, I think sort of the Michelin system as it's expanded has probably become a little um, kinder in terms of allocating three stars um, than it perhaps was uh, maybe sort of five ten years ago. Um, so I, th- I think the the numbers have expanded quite a lot, and um, yeah, many of them are terrific. You know, and I think I have I actually have very little problem with most of the ones in Japan, which. Whereas I think the standard there is incredibly high. Uh, I think uh, the uh, the Hong Kong guide is actually the least sort of trustworthy of the Michelin guides now. Um, um, but um, but some countries are, you know, are sort of very very solid in terms of their marking. Like Germany, I think is actually a very very um, reliable guide. Um, whereas maybe Hong Kong is the least reliable, and <clears throat> most of the other places are sort of somewhere in between. It's interesting because in Germany, what were there like two three star restaurants maybe in an entire country? Oh no 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 huh? ten. There are so, ten. Um, oh, I'm sorry. There, there the old two. days there were two. <laughs> yeah no it's 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 significantly uh, changed over the years but there are um, but the thing is you know I mean German food perhaps as a sort of you know doesn't it doesn't market itself very well um, right. and so people have a perception of it's all just sausages you know um, but that's really not the case especially at the very high end um, so the of the ten three star restaurants in Germany um, well in fact they just added one one more but of the ten uh, last year um, the I'd say nine were pretty much rock solid three stars and that's, not, that's something I couldn't really say of too many other countries you know how many in great how many three stars in Great Britain in your home country there are, there are four interesting that Germany has more than Great Britain isn't it yeah, and and deservedly so. I mean, there's absolutely no no debate that the the, the three stars in Germany are, are just just better. I mean, there's no no two ways about it. And I think you know, even within the UK, there's sort of three of those three stars are you know dubi- you know, are sort of at least debatable. You know, I'm not sure they have three stars in Germany or France or, or Japan. Well, um, I, so, um, as so, Amer- yeah. as Americans, we rarely hear of of Michelin restaurants in Germany. So this is this is. 
this is eye-opening. Let me ask you a, a last question. What is your wife, who I happen to know from reading your bio, is a physician? Mm-hmm. What does she think of your dietary habits? Uh, well, you have to be quite careful with restaurant food because you don't, you're not in control of what goes into it. Obviously, here at home, you know what, you know what's going into the dishes. Um, uh, restaurants tend to use quite a lot of oil and butter in some cases. Um, I, I, I go to the gym a lot, <laughs> so, uh, so I go sort of, you know, well, four days a week these days, you three, sort of six days a week. So, uh, but you do have to be, be careful if you eat in restaurants a lot, uh, for sure, uh, just to sort of keep an eye on what you're ordering. And do you cook at home? Are you a chef? Do you consider yourself a good cook? Um, I'm a, an enthusiastic cook rather than a good cook. Um, my wife's quite a, is, is a good cook, um, uh, but um, I, I do enjoy cooking at home. I, I tend to be eating out maybe around five nights a week, so you know <clears throat> more often than not I'm actually eating out. Um, but uh, I do enjoy cooking. But it, it actually, in a way, when I try to make make sort of you know complicated dishes at home, uh, it makes you realise actually how difficult it is, and, and I, I, it gives me a sort of a greater appreciation for professional chefs and you know, what a sort of tough tough life they, they they really have. Andy Haler is the man who's eaten at every three-star Michelin restaurant in the world. His website is Andy Haler, H-A-Y-L-E-R, handyhaler.com. You can read all about him. Uh, I still think you got a nice job, Andy, and I thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much indeed. And we'll be right back. If you've ever wondered what you're going to do this weekend, I've got a woman who can fill all 52 for you. We'll be right back. Rudy Max's world is coming right back. So get on the phone now at 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. You can also enjoy the program anytime at RudyMaxa.com. Hi, folks. Rudy Maxa here inviting you to discover what Ireland's great cities have to offer. Cities including Dublin, Belfast, Galway, and Kilkenny are as rooted in history as they are in the 21st century. From ancient landmarks to five-star hotels, from a new generation of chefs cooking up a foodie scene as dynamic as it is delicious to iconic castles and coastlines, all are within easy reach of these vibrant city hubs that are making their way onto best destination lists from National Geographic to TripAdvisor. Plan a trip today and go to Ireland.com or RudyMaxa.com and click on Sponsors. Introducing Orbitz Rewards, the top-shelf margarita of rewards programs. As an Orbitz Rewards member, you earn rewards immediately on flights, hotels, and packages. That's right, like the kick from a good tequila, you get them instantly. The rewards you just earned on your flight to Miami? Use them to book your hotel for the same trip. If you use the Orbitz app to book, you earn even more, 5% on hotels. So join today and be part of the only travel rewards program that gives you instant vacation gratification. Go to Orbitz.com rewards or look under sponsors at RudyMaxa.com. participate in the program, call now at 800-387-8025 or log on to RudyMaxa.com. Here's Rudy Maxa. And this segment of the show is brought to you by Orbitz. Orbitz has created a simple program that rewards you faster than anyone else. You book your hotel and airline travel through Orbitz and you get rewarded instantly with Orbux. You can learn you can earn up to 5% on hotels, 3% plus an extra 2% when you use the mobile app for Android or iOS. Uh, you can earn 1% on any flights and packages you book. If you refer a friend, you can earn $25 in uh, Orbux, and you can instantly redeem those rewards uh, for hotel rooms, even as you're booking your trip. No complicated points to calculate. You can stack your rewards on top of other deals. Anyway, check it out at orbits.com forward slash rewards. 
Ever wonder what to do on the weekend? Well, my next guest has it solved for you. Her name is Pam Godwin. She's the author of 50, The 52 Weeks. Hey, Pam, welcome to the show. Hi, Rudy. All right, so how did, go, go to the beginning and give us a brief history of the Genesis. Very quickly, Karen and I, good friends for a very long time, just feeling a little, you know, stuck, bored, needing to shake things up a bit, came up with an idea one night over drinks and said, let's try something, you know, a little different, and decided that we would blog about it, not really knowing what a blog was, but felt we needed to be accountable in some way to keep right. track of things. And it, it, it went from there. Um, started out as a blog and then became, we realized we had something brewing and turned it into a book, um, brought some experts in to help, to help us along, and here we are. And this is a book that is available now in stores? Now in stores, online everywhere, um, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can go to our website at the52weeks.com, um, numeric 52. Purchase it, purchase it online everywhere in stores. Okay. Now give us an idea of, of the mix of possibilities of some of your weekend adventures. Um, well, it ran the gamut from doing some adrenaline-inducing things such as uh, driving a Maserati, going rock climbing, uh, going to a shooting range, but we also did some other, you know, much more intrinsic things um, as well, you know, just more reflective things. Um, we also tried to incorporate, you know, getting out of our zip code quite a lot um, because you, you do need a change to, to make you feel a lot better sometimes, so, that, so there was always that. Um, a lot of our... Um, Volunteer. There was a chapter on giving back and volunteering, and that sort of you know we were able to incorporate trying a bunch of new things and and getting going away in um, in that section as well. Um, just in general, or in terms of trying to 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 get away. Did you not, do Did you do these things full time for like five, or five days a week, or oh, were these no, no. were these incorporated on weekends as uh, and, and you had a whole another thing going on in your life? whole other thing. Both Karen and I are, you know, we work, we have families, we have husbands and kids, and this was really something that we tried to fit in, you know, in, in between our, our life. And clearly sometimes life got in the way, as it does, but it was something to do just, you know, for us, to carve out a little, a little me time for us and to make us feel better, which in turn got us going and made us feel a bit more productive as well. Um, but there were always other things going on as well. We Did, couldn't, unfortunately, travel the world while we were doing this. Sure. Um, we didn't have the freedom or the time or the money to do that, but we were able to do a lot of smaller things to explore, you know, our passion. Did you do everything together, or did sometimes one of you do things solo? No, we definitely did. We, we had several lists. Some of the things we did do together, um, but others we did separately. As we always say, everyone's 52 list is different, and Karen and I are very different people, very good friends, but different interests, different ideas. So we each worked, worked alone with this, but were able to have the support of each other, which is so important because there was accountability and there was the, the need to have that friend there to push you along. I'm um, intrigued by the difference. Uh, can you give me a short example of what one of your favorite things was? and a short of example of one of what one of her favorite things was that illustrate the difference between the two of you? Well, I don't know 
know about a favorite because I, I don't really have a favorite. Everything was, was, was special in its own way, but I can give you a, a quick difference. I was working on um, exercise, you know, getting better exercise routines, so, and Karen decided to try something as well. I generally do yoga. She generally does, you know, hard-hitting tennis and, and intense, competitive, sweaty, sweaty sports. So that's a very big difference. I like stillness. She likes activity. I'm calm, you know, the calmer force. She's the more sort of aggressive one. So we've always had, or assertive one. So we have, you know, our, our, it's a very yin-yang relationship, but it definitely works. Now that the 52 weeks, the book called The 52 Weeks is in the can, are you trying to keep this up in your lives on maybe a reduced basis? We do. You know, it's an ongoing it's an ongoing project for us. There's always more to try and learn. But the actual 52 weeks did happen, you know, a, a little a while ago. We've sort of finished with that project. But as we say, you're, you're always working on your 52 weeks, and we're constantly trying new things. I mean, I wrote a book, for goodness sake. So that's definitely uh, something yes. that of my... <laughs> yes, and I presume you're and I presume though. you're putting your new adventures on your blog, fifty two weeks dot com. Yes, the we, 52 have, weeks. we still have the blog um, on our website is a full website about the book as well as our blog um, and too. So you can go check that out at www.the52weeks.com. Great. So if you are feel your life might be in a rut and want some creative ideas for how to, even if it's not full-time, change up a bit, uh, check out The 52 Weeks. The website is The 52 Weeks. The number is 52, the52weeks.com. Uh, I've been talking with Pam Godwin. Her uh, co-author is Karen Amster-Young. Uh, Pam, thanks for dropping by. Thank you so much. I'll talk. We'll be right back here in Rudy Max's world right after this break. Stay with me. Don't go away. now to talk to Rudy Maxa at 800-387-8025. You can also email the show anytime at info at rudymaxa.com. Because Susan switched to Geico and saved hundreds of dollars on car insurance, her retirement account wants to bake her a chocolate cake. But it can't. It's a retirement account. It doesn't have the upper body strength to lift a cake pan into an oven. Switch to Geico, and every time you see the savings, you'll know your retirement account wants to bake you a chocolate cake. But remember, it can't. It's a retirement account. It is, however, happy that you're saving money. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. I just can't handle the scene anymore. I wish I could find someone who's compatible with me and my values. Come now. Keep the flame of hope burning. All you need is a visit to GEICO.com, the one website devoted to ease, savings, and the long-lost art of chivalry. We'll take you by the hand and escort you through a free rate quote, shower you with policy managing and bill-paying tools, throw our coats down in mud puddles to protect your shoes, unless you think that'd be weird. Is that weird? For a free rate quote, visit Geico.com. If you've got aches and pain and soreness, it could be chronic inflammation. Listen to Dave talk about Relief Factor 4. I was in a sawmill accident and suffered with pain and discomfort for 60 years. I heard about Relief Factor 4 and decided to order it. And in four days, I was walking without a limp and without pain. I am thrilled. For more information or to order Relief Factor 4, go online at relieffactor4.com. That's relieffactor4.com. Hi, this is Chuck Woolery. You want to feel like a million bucks today? Have all the confidence in the world? Well, it can't happen if you have bad breath, so why don't you do what I do? Get your hands on Smart Mouth Mouth Wash and get 12 hours of fresh breath. 
Rinse at night, wake up without nasty morning breath. Rinse in the morning, fresh breath all day. For 40 cents a rinse, have confidence that you can't get with any other mouthwash. So put your money where your mouth is. Smart Mouth 12-Hour Mouthwash. It's in stores everywhere. Looking for a great price on a new hardwood floor? Every floor in every store is on sale now at Lumber Liquidators in the Vieira Flooring Clearance. Clearance flooring is just 19 cents a square foot. First quality laminate, just 49 cents. Pre-finished hardwood, 139 Plus bamboo, hand scrape. If it's in stock, it's on sale. And get special extended financing. Hurry, these incredible deals will not last. Sales going on now. Visit LumberLiquidators.com or your store before these deals are gone. Financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payment required. Hi folks, Rudy Maxa here inviting you to discover what Ireland's great cities have to offer. Cities including Dublin, Belfast, Galway, and Kilkenny are as rooted in history as they are in the 21st century. From ancient landmarks to five-star hotels, from a new generation of chefs cooking up a foodie scene as dynamic as it is delicious to iconic castles and coastlines, all are within easy reach of these vibrant city hubs that are making their way onto best destination lists from National Geographic to TripAdvisor. Plan a trip today and go to Ireland.com or RudyMaxa.com and click on Sponsors. Get out the map, get out the map, lay your finger anywhere down. To participate in the program, call now at 800-387-8025 or log on to RudyMaxa.com. Here's Rudy Maxa. Welcome back to Rudy Max's World. It's about 43 minutes after the hour, and you're listening to America's most widely syndicated radio travel show. Glad you are. And this, episode, this uh, segment of the show is brought to you uh, by the good folks at Ireland, Tourism Ireland. It's easier than ever to visit Ireland because this year saw the addition of direct flights from major U.S. cities. And in 2014, travelers from the West Coast will be able to fly nonstop on Aer Lingus from San Francisco to Dublin. Once there, you'll be able to stay in the world's hippest hotels, or at least the hippest hotels in Europe. You'll be able to visit ancient landmarks, stay in five-star hotels, and sample cuisine by a new generation of chefs. Cities including Dublin, Belfast, and others have recently been listed on the best destination lists of National Geographic and TripAdvisor. So what are you waiting for? Plan a trip today by going to Ireland.com for more information and experience the vacation of a lifetime in Ireland. Another place to go on vacation? Well, let's find out if it is. Charlie Taylor is the Director of Communications with the Dubai Department of Tourism and Commerce Marketing. Dubai, of course, you know Dubai, uh, and you have for years. got the world's tallest hotel now, and oh, the world's tallest building, and it's all... Well, this is a question I want to ask Charlie. First of all, welcome to the show. Nice to have you here, Charlie. Hi there, Rudy. How are you? Good evening. Nice to talk to you. I know it's nighttime there. Thank you for staying up for me. So here's my question. Hey, You're well. a tourism guy. I want to hear your elevator pitch, because I can't... I have not been to Dubai... I can't decide whether it's it's a lot of glitz and noise and and commotion about nothing, or whether it's a, a, you know sort of a soulless place to visit, uh, or is it in fact an exciting destination for a leisure traveler? Is there enough to do there? It is one of the most exciting destinations you can come to. Really, it's uh, you mentioned a few of the superlatives, and it certainly is a city of superlatives from the world's tallest uh, tower world's tallest hotel, world's largest man-made island. But there is also an incredible amount of diversity uh, beneath uh, th those things that are known around the world. We have 200 nationalities who live here. So you have 200 different cultures all contributing to create, uh, to create one city. You have 200 uh, gourmet palettes, which you can taste. So you can really taste uh, 
the world in Dubai. And you have a, a constantly evolving destination that's a great place for families and the perfect place to explore Arabia, which is obviously a very different part of the world for, uh, for many people. So you can explore the desert, uh, you can explore the city, and you have a beautiful coastline. So it's really a, a fantastic city to visit. There's, uh, there's been, over the last decade, enormous publicity for the luxury hotels there, Charlie. Uh, but I, th- I read something in the trades, I think in the last week or two, that, that uh, Dubai is, is, is starting a push for sort of more mid, you know, maybe three-star hotels, more affordable hotels. Is it an affordable destination for a couple or a family to visit, or all the hotel rooms five and six stars and uh, equivalent in price? No, no, we have, we have 600-plus uh, hotels in Dubai. And uh, obviously the, the luxury hotels get the, uh, the headlines, but we have a, a large range of three and four star hotels, all of which have, uh, have the service standards um, of five star hotels, we like to think. And yes, you're right. We uh, recently announced an initiative to incentivize more hotel developers to build three and four stars here. Uh, to extend that offering. But right now, it's a, it's a very affordable destination when you're here. Um, there's a lot of sites which you can see for $1 or $2. As I said, we have 200 different uh, nationalities, so you have a lot of uh, different foods here, and you can uh, feast like a king in, in one of the Arabic or, or Indian restaurants around town. Now you're um, talking. And all the sites, you know, we have a lot of great malls with a lot of free uh, activities in. So, so from an affordable point of view, um, very much so. Is that indoor ski slope still open? It is, and I learned to snowboard there myself. It's, uh, it's a great place to, to come and have some fun. It's got a black run, but also a, uh, a blue run. So very safe, very uh, exciting. Um, so you can snow ski in the morning and then go to the desert and, uh, and desert ski in the afternoon. And I know that it's become Dubai has. Uh, we only have a minute left, Charlie. I'm sorry to rush, but uh, I know it's a it's it's becoming a huge airline hub for going to the Middle East or Asia or the Far East or Africa. Um, just give me 30 seconds on what uh, the Expo 2020 is that you all are planning for. We've just won the right to host World Expo 2020, which is very exciting. First time uh, such an event has been held in Middle East or North Africa or even South Asia. So the world will be coming to Dubai in 2020. And what's great for tourists is it means that we are adding more hotels, more attractions and more experiences over the next seven or eight years. Uh, so adding to what's already here. So it's going to be a fantastic, uh, exciting destination to, to come to from now and up until 2020. All right. Well, I I I I, I've, I know that a lot of Americans are intrigued by Dubai, uh, and and I know it's a small part of your tourism, but I hope it's a growing part. And uh, uh, I appreciate your dropping by today and talking to me, Charlie. Sure, and you'll be very welcome to visit, Reader. We look forward to having you here. Thank you very much, Charlie Taylor is director of communications with the Dubai Department of Tourism and Commerce Marketing. You can uh, do all the research you want on Dubai, but he says, come on over. We'll be right back in just a moment. Rudy Max's World phone lines are open now, so call us at 800-387-8025. We'll be back after these messages. The telephone number to call the program is 800-387-8025. That's 1-800-387-8025. Or visit the show online at rudymaxa.com. Here again is Rudy Maxa. I want to talk for a moment about one of the world's great aviation tragedies. 
This weekend marks the 25th anniversary of what was arguably the end of Pan American Airways. On March 21st, 1988, bodies literally rained from the sky on the Scottish town of Lockerbie. They landed on a golf course, on streets, hung up in trees. It was the horrific result of a plastic explosive that it's thought had been planted aboard the plane by a Libyan terrorist working at the behest of Libya's then-dictator Muammar Gaddafi. Uh, the bomb was set to a timer. It was supposed to detonate 30 minutes after takeoff from London when the plane was supposed to be over the ocean. That would mean little evidence would be found. But uh, the flight, which was en route to New York, was kept flying rather slowly at 6,000 feet because of inclement weather and incoming aircraft. 259 passengers and crew were killed that day. 11 people on the ground were also killed when the flaming fuselage crashed into homes and blasted a 30-foot crater. That tragedy marked the beginning of the end for Pan Am, the airline that had opened the world to millions of Americans. This weekend, there are memorial services marking that tragic event in Westminster Abbey in London, in New York, in Lockerbie, at Arlington National Cemetery outside D.C., and in Syracuse, New York, because the explosion took the lives of 35 Syracuse University students. Much worse, of course, was to come when on 9-11, tourists used planes as weapons, but it's worth taking a moment to think of those souls who perished over Lockerbie 25 years ago. Rebecca Sprecher is a former Pan American flight attendant, along with another Pan Ammer, Paula Helfrich. She's written a novel built around the crash of Pan Am 103. It's called Flying a Novel. Rebecca, welcome to Rudy Max's World. Nice to be here today. Nice to have you here. Thank you for taking time out. I know you're attending the memorial service today in D.C., but... How, why and how did you, you and your co-author decide to fictionalize this disaster in a book? Well, first of all, Rudy, thank you so much for having me on today and uh, to talk about a subject that I dearly love, and that's Pan Am. Uh, Paula and I decided that um, we realized with a shock that we were not getting any younger and that if somebody somebody needed to tell these stories in a proper way of what the lives of these flight crews were like for Pan Am because they literally were shoehorned into history every time they went to work. And, and we decided that, that uh, you know, we needed to write a novel about it, something that was gripping where the... Uh, reader could really get into it and identify with it emotionally and feel like they were on the crew themselves. I presume you and your co-author lost a colleague or two in this accident or well, disaster? Well, uh, both of us had left the airline by then, but it didn't matter if you knew them personally or not. They were part of your family. And that was the unique thing about Pan Am was that we were, these flight crews were a family to each other. And we did, uh, we were very, very close. Uh, but we identified with them so much. We, we knew exactly what was going on when it happened. We could imagine it. And so, uh, and we knew it was going to be the end of our airline as well. Tell me about this group called Victims of Pan Am Flight 103. Well, when this disaster happened, this had been uh, the most devastating tragedy of its kind uh, prior uh, up to that date. And um, these, these people, these passengers were all very talented business people and professors, and there was a large contingent of Syracuse University students that had been studying abroad, and they were coming home for Christmas. These families rallied together and decided to um, try and make everyone else safer so that they, uh, no other family would have to go through what they had gone through. And they uh, stuck with some legislation through Congress and got the, I believe it's the Airline uh, Aviation Security Act, I'm not sure the exact title. It was passed in 1990, 
And they, um, you know, that resulted in the security procedures uh, that we have at the airports today, which we all don't like, but um, we, we, can't take, we can't take any chances, obviously. Uh, Rebecca, is there a website where people can learn more about your novel? We, we actually do not have a website, but we are on Facebook, and we would love for your listeners uh, to go on to Flying a Novel's uh, Facebook page and like us, and you can receive all of our posts um, about what kinds of activities we're doing. As you know, Paula lives over in Yangon, Myanmar, and so she's uh, posting things from there, and uh, I am here in the United States. You live in South Carolina, correct? I do, yes. So, the, so go to Facebook and, and look for Flying a Novel and join and friend right. that page, or excuse me, like that page, and you'll be, you'll right. be connected. Now, right. you are going to Arlington Cemetery later this afternoon? Yes. Uh, the service begins at 1.30, and there are actually simultaneous services at Westminster Abbey, uh, in New York, at Syracuse, and here. And uh, at 2 o'clock this afternoon, or actually 2.02 to be precise, uh, if any of your listeners would like to keep a moment of silence in memory of Pan Am 103, that is the exact moment at which the explosion occurred. All right. As Rebecca says this afternoon, I'm broadcasting to you live. We're coming up to 11 o'clock a.m. Eastern time as I broadcast you live. Many of our stations shift this show to later on Saturday or even Sunday. So we're talking Saturday afternoon at 2.02. Rebecca Sprecher is the co-author of the novel Flying, a novel, along with Paula Helfrich. How do you pronounce your last name? Helfrich or Helfrich? Helfrich, that's Helfrich. correct. Helfrich. Rebecca, uh, my thoughts are with you and uh, with your colleagues uh, today, and thank you for dropping by. Thank you very much, Rudy, for having me. We're ending the first hour of Rudy Max's World. If your station's leaving us, I look forward to talking to you again next weekend. Meanwhile, stick around if you're uh, going to listen to the second hour. I hope you do. We'll be back in about six minutes. You've been listening to Rudy Max's World. And as always, you're hearing must-hear radio on the SSI Radio Network.